This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. Welcome to AM. It's Tuesday, the 24th of October. I'm Sabra Lang, coming to you from Nepaluna, Hobart. Hamas has released two more hostages taken during its terror raid on Israel on October the 7th. The Islamic militant group says it's released two elderly women for humanitarian reasons and Israel's confirmed they're now in Egypt. Hamas militants snatched more than 200 hostages during raids earlier this month, which killed more than 1,400 people, including women and children. Israel is hitting Gaza with an air offensive of increasing intensity as it prepares for a ground invasion. The death toll from the bombings has passed 5,000, with a prominent Palestinian human rights organisation saying more than 2,000 Palestinian children have been killed and another 830 buried under rubble. Alison Horn is in Ashdod in southern Israel. Two elderly women have been released, an 85-year-old and a 79-year-old. Hamas has put a statement on its social media channel saying that they released the hostages for humanitarian reasons. And Israel has confirmed that the women are now in Egypt, that they've crossed over the Egypt-Gaza border, that Rafa crossing, into the care of the Red Cross that says it facilitated the release of these hostages by transporting them out of Gaza. It has said that uh, the Red Cross has a role as a neutral intermediary between the warring parties and have been working to make this possible. So it means that uh, four people in total now have been released since they were captured on October 7, two over the weekend, and then these two more now. Uh, But that means that there is still about 220 hostages that are still being held captive in Gaza at the moment. Israeli military stepped up attacks on Gaza ahead of an expected ground assault. Are negotiations over the hostages a possible reason why this ground offensive hasn't started yet? Yeah, I think that's a really credible explanation. We know that the United States has been exerting enormous pressure on Israel to negotiate to try and get these hostages out. And that is one of the reasons we think that this ground offensive has not started. Uh, Hamas has said that some of these hostages are being held in the labyrinth of tunnels that Hamas has built underneath Gaza. And also they want more time to be able to negotiate to get those hostages out of there uh, before Israeli troops go in on the ground and potentially put their lives at risk. So there were some reports floating around that there uh, was going to be 50 hostages released, uh, but that doesn't seem to be something that will be coming to light. But yes, two for now uh, and still more negotiations going on about possible other hostage releases. In Gaza, the Hamas-run Ministry of Health says that Israel's bombings killed more than 5,000 people. Without supplies, how are the medical facilities in Gaza coping? Well, all reports that we've heard from doctors on the ground is that it's an incredibly dire and distressing situation. We know multiple hospitals and health facilities have actually had to shut because they simply cannot operate. Of the facilities that are still open at the moment, they're incredibly overworked and over capacity. You've got patients that are being treated on the floors, patients that are being cleansed and have had vinegar used instead of antiseptic because there is no medicine. Bandages have run out, so cloths and old bits of rags are being 
being used to dress wounds. Sewing needles are being used to try and stitch people back together. They've run out of surgical tools. Uh, And doctors say that people now are dying, that they do not have the capacity to try and treat the thousands of uh, Gazans that are being brought to hospital and they also don't have the supplies to be able to treat them. So they're having to make choices about who they treat and who they leave to die now. That's our Middle East correspondent, Alison Horn in Ashdod in southern Israel. In Gaza, United Nations officials say more than 700,000 people have fled from the north of the territory and they're now sheltering in what they've described as appalling conditions in the south with basic supplies running out. Gaza resident and journalist Shadi Abu Ahmed has five boys and two daughters and he says he's struggling to know what to say to them about the war. I, as a father, I, I am supposed to be the source of power for my children and to protect them from the psychological point of view. But they see me. I mean, myself, I am weak. So they lost their main source of power. And when they see me weak and trying to hide and hide them from the bombardment, uh, I can read it in their eyes. Please do something for us. But I know myself I'm unable to do anything and I feel weak, very weak in front of my, my children. Now, after a month, they, they keep asking me, is there any end for that? They ask me if there will be a ceasefire. They ask, what next? Do we have to spend all, the rest of our life carrying bottles and look for some water or bread? As Shadi Abu Ahmed, a Gaza resident, speaking with Nicole Johnston. You're listening to AM and it's a quarter past seven. The Prime Minister's used his first official visit to Washington to announce Australia's top cyber security agency will join with tech giant Microsoft to combat online theft and spying. Anthony Albanese says the tech company's involvement fits with his government's cybersecurity strategy and will make Australia one of the most resilient countries against the growing tide of online threats. The Prime Minister has also discussed the situation in Gaza with the US President. The ABC's Greg Jenner is travelling with the Prime Minister. Greg, the Prime Minister's putting an innovation focus on the alliance. What's he announced? He's fronted with executives from Microsoft globally and also Microsoft Australia, the tech giants here, Sabra, to outline a $5 billion investment by Microsoft into Australia. Now, a part of that is to build power-hungry data centres for the many cloud services that run off Microsoft systems, but also to endeavour into a new partnership with Australia's peak cyber agency, the Australian Signals Directorate. Now, they're calling this Cyber Shield with ASD, and the way it's been explained by the Prime Minister and Microsoft executives is that in order to thwart and disrupt would-be cyber attacks on Australia, Microsoft monitors about 65 trillion bits of data each and every day. Across that, they're now promising to unleash sophisticated AI technologies that will better enable ASD to use its tools against incoming attacks once sifted through those 65 trillion bits of data. So a lucrative new arrangement. They pointed out there's no extra contractual deal with the Australian government through it, but of course it does embed Microsoft as a trusted partner in the IT sector, more so than it currently is, and it already has a large amount of government work with Australia. 
Mr Albanese is now just over a day away from talks with the US President, Joe Biden, who is heavily involved in Middle East negotiations. What is the Prime Minister's position on the Israeli ground invasion, Greg? Well, he was asked today, Sabra, whether he wanted to send any message of assurance to Palestinian or pro-Palestinian communities in Australia when he shares that stage in the White House with Joe Biden, remembering that Joe Biden is largely seen as having given the green light to Israel's forthcoming ground invasion. And it was put to the Prime Minister, uh, might you be making a statement, in effect, about picking sides as between Israel and the Palestinians. Palestinians in sharing that stage. The Prime Minister took a really strong position on this, Sabra, that he is above all else anti-Hamas. Greg Janet there. Now to a David versus Goliath story, or in this case, Dr Janice Duffy versus Google. Dr Duffy has finally won her 12-year battle against the tech giant. The Adelaide woman's twice sued the company, mostly without legal help, after it published defamatory information about the former researcher on its search engine, despite repeated requests from her to take it down. Evelyn Leckie filed this report from South Australia. Precious boy. Dr Janice Duffy joined a volunteer dog rescuing network during a dark time in her life. I started it because basically I, I wanted a, someone to look after my dog if I didn't survive it and I honestly didn't think I was going to survive it. Her nightmare began after seeing defamatory extracts written about her from American website Ripoff Report appear on Google when she searched her name. I felt it, found it very difficult to leave the house. And I, I, I used to, like, I used to lay on the couch watching documentaries about serial killers to make me feel normal. She contemplated taking her life, saying it destroyed her career in research. Google made me feel like I was worth nothing. In a bid to take the harmful content down, she sued Google successfully in 2015, facing the tech giant unrepresented when she ran out of money for legal fees. And that was just horrific. When I, um realised that I had to do the trial myself. The only things that I had was an old printer and my research skills. Google used the defence of innocent dissemination, but even after her David and Goliath-like feat, similar defamatory information continued to appear on the site after her first case. Lawyer Paul Hayward-Smith helped Dr Duffy after her initial proceeding. They'd lost the case, but they, in their arrogance, continued to broadcast it and and Janice Duffy just wasn't prepared to accept that. This year, Dr Duffy won her second defamation case after the state's Supreme Court found the search engine knowingly put derogatory comments about her online from the same website, which is understood to alter its URL links. This week, she reached a confidential settlement with the tech giant who will pay her damages and costs. Mr Hayward-Smith says her triumphs are remarkable. Google has the capacity to deep pocket any anyone make their legal costs and the costs of litigating so expensive that most people couldn't even contemplate it. Independent expert in the field Joel Lisk says there may not be a large amount of similar proceedings in Australia given the expense, time and emotional toll it would take on potential plaintiffs. It should still be the, the approach of last resort. You know, you should be able to settle these matters or request Google to remove them. But I think it, it does strengthen the defamation position here in Australia. 
He says Dr Duffy's case could put more responsibility on search engine companies to monitor what appears on its websites more closely. Evelyn Leckie there. And if you or anyone you know need help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Rapid advances in artificial intelligence are moving faster than the rate at which governments can make laws governing its use. The federal government recently released a discussion paper asking if new laws are needed to stop people making fake images and videos that trick people into thinking they're real. The fashion industry is among a number of sectors sectors grappling with how to stop AI-generated avatars from taking over jobs. Nassim Kadem reports. Kate Hoisler coaches young models starting out in the industry. She worries AI will make it easier for them to get scammed by people involved in deepfake porn, where videos and images have been digitally created or altered. You just have to be mindful of where it is that your name, your likeness, your voice... Um, your images, your video content that either you generate for them or they take of you, it's actually being used the way that it's meant to and that's where having a working contract is always essential. Kate Hoistler is also concerned that with big companies like Calvin Klein and Levi's now using AI-generated models, that those working in the fashion industry may lose jobs. definitely think within one or two generations we're going to see some more jobs and some more industries completely disappear due to AI. Michael Musandu is the CEO and co-founder of AI startup La La Land. His company helped Levi's create a fashion campaign with an avatar of a dark-skinned girl. The move caused some backlash over whether that represented true diversity, but he says AI helps speed up traditional photo shoots and saves businesses time and money. Yeah, for the first time, they can go from a design and visualise this in a couple of minutes. It takes um, about five to seven minutes for you to render a product. Australian fashion brands like Jag haven't moved to AI yet, but are using technology to cut down on costs. Rather than hiring models per individual shoot, they get paid a usage fee for the repeated use of their images. Jag's head designer, Katie Von Dadelson, says it's already produced big cost savings. Being less wasteful, I'm not um, doing exorbitant amounts of sample rolls or making samples in factories that aren't then getting purchased. I'm actually designing in this technology from the beginning to minimise wastage um, and then using those amazing garments that we've created in 3D to then superimpose over paid models and use them across our digital platforms. Small businesses are also using AI for their fashion campaigns for as little as $60 a month. Julie Stevania is the co-founder of fashion startup Wrapped. When we did this campaign with AI, when we relaunched a month ago, we didn't cancel a $10,000 photo shoot. We didn't have the budget for that photo shoot. You know, so this actually didn't take the role or the jobs of somebody else. It actually just enabled us to do more as a small business. But Monique Jeremiah runs a business hiring real models who are diverse. She's worried about the rise of AI-generated models killing jobs in her industry. And it's not, it's not just models that would be impacted by AI. It's also the other parties that are in the modelling industry. So, for example, photographers, makeup artists, ha- um, hair artists, um, stylists as well. Monique says the authenticity that real models bring is yet to be replaced by avatars. Consumers want to buy products that suit them. They want to see products on real people, not computer-generated, unrealistic models. But as AI advances, being able to work out what's real and what's fake 
could get harder. Nassim Kadem reporting. Getting legal advice can be vital for women escaping family violence. Without it, they can struggle to get a restraining order or custody of children from a violent partner. Yet in remote Western Australia, it can be extremely difficult finding a lawyer. However, some services are devising innovative ways to fill the gap. Alicia Bridges has this report. Daniel Bavcevic has just arrived in the Kimberley for his fortnightly shift. We've picked up the hire car and about to make our way to the Broome Legal Aid office. Like thousands of other Western Australians, he flies in and out of Perth to do his job. But he's not wearing high vis and he doesn't work in a mine. Daniel Bavcevic is a lawyer for Legal Aid. And we travel to regional areas on a frequent basis to assist uh, women in the regions um, with family law issues, family violence related issues or child protection related issues. He's one of three Perth-based lawyers who travel to regional areas through the Stronger Women's Program. They're trying to make sure women in remote areas can seek help when they feel ready to ask for it. The first time they may speak to a lawyer is outside the courtroom, just before they go in, and those interactions can be really crucial. It can be 20 minutes of urgent legal advice that uh, might completely change or influence the outcome. Without a lawyer, a woman might not be able to fight to get her children back from a violent partner or get a restraining order against a perpetrator they're trying to escape. Legal Aid says the FIFO lawyers are just one way it's trying to fill gaps in remote areas. This Legal Aid lawyer is phoning in to a women's shelter. So we'll start off by going through some of your personal details and then we'll get into the details of the legal matter. It's one of many virtual offices Legal Aid has set up in shelters across WA. They're designed to help women connect with lawyers when the matter is urgent, without needing to leave the safety of the shelter. It's working um, and we can see the results. We get lots and lots of feedback. Colleen Brown is the director of the family division at Legal Aid. She says gaps in regional services have been worsened by funding cuts across Australia. We have um, a whole um, range of private practitioners that do legal aid work, but it's few and far between when you've got, you know, distances of days to get there and back. While legal aid says it's working around the challenges, there are concerns about funding new programs that are not locally based. Karina Martin is the chief executive of the Aboriginal Family Legal Service, which has six regional offices. She says it's frustrating that local services like her own are struggling for funding. Utilise the services are on, that are on the ground, that are doing the actual work and seeing um, what they're actually doing and what they actually require and need. Karina Martin says her staff are operating at capacity and she questions why organisations like her own aren't receiving more government funding. There's still this lack of trust in Aboriginal organisations running programs and it's really frustrating. Without more funding to hire lawyers on the ground, she says women will struggle to get the support they deserve. Alicia Bridges reporting with Erin Park and Roseanne Maloney. If you're in an abusive situation or you know someone who is, you can call 1800 RESPECT. That's 1800 737 732. If it's an emergency, call triple zero. That's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lane. Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, host of the ABC News Daily Podcast. 
Snowy Hydro 2.0 has been upended by a single machine that got bogged underground, delaying it by years. Today, Four Corners reporter Angus Grigg on the mistakes that were made and the billions of taxpayer dollars they've cost. Look for the ABC News Daily Podcast on the ABC Listener. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.